Hello, friends. I'm Jenny Brentis. I am here with Connor Orr, and we want to share some news at the top of this week's podcast. This will be the penultimate episode of the Weekside Podcast. It is difficult news for us to share because we have truly enjoyed this community that we've built here, and that's because of you, all of the listeners who have written in, who have followed along, who have given us reviews, ideas. It's been a tremendous community. We are doing a little bit of a shuffle with the podcast lineup here at SI, and we are going to be full-time on the Monday Morning Podcast with Gary Gramling, so you can find us back on the MMQB feed. The three of us will be there every Monday morning. So we hope to bring a lot of our favorite features of this show, definitely the Oracle, which we can all agree is the real highlight of the Weekside podcast. Uh, so we'll have this episode, next episode, and we hope that you will all join us over on that feed for bad puns, analysis, discussions of topics on and off the field, our witty banter, all of the above. But this has truly been a enjoyable journey over the last, what is it, Connor, nine months that we started recording yeah. this show. We had amazing cover art from our producer Shelby's dear friend that we just absolutely love. Connor made me a puzzle out of it. We had awesome music at the top and at the end from Connor's dear friend. So it really was a community effort. And I think that's what we really enjoyed the most about the Weekside podcast was we began it during a pandemic, and it was really a weekly sense of community that we found here recording it with the three of us, Connor, Shelby, and me, and also all of you. Yeah, um, it, it's it's tough. I mean, I, you know, f- well, first off, if if Gary and the Monday Morning Podcast thinks for one second that we're not going to talk about vegan tacos and birds and all that kind of stuff, uh, he's got another thing coming. You know, that that kind of stuff is just uh, non-negotiable. It's already in our contracts that we're we're allowed to bring that to any uh, any audio medium that we go to. So um, you can. Uh, <laughs> You can you can guarantee that the best of, of what we do here and what we're most proud of will certainly be incorporated into um, a show with with Gary on, on Mondays and which we're thrilled to uh, to be able to participate in. But yeah, it's it, it just can't thank the people who listen to this enough. Um, it was uh, such a mutual feedback thing. Like we got so many warm wonderful letters through the pandemic which was a tough time for everybody and we hope that we were able to you know bring a sense of goofiness and football fun into your life during the pandemic and I can only say you know I can speak for myself when I say that the the, that feeling was mutual I mean we got some of the kindest uh, most incredible letters back from some of you guys just about your own experiences um you know, uh, what you love, what you don't love, um, about football, what you think and what you, you know, and we tried to make it as open-ended and open sourced as possible. Um, and I think that was, you know, a real credit to, to Jenny. And that's why it was such a thrill to be able to, uh, work on this with, with her, you know, I think she steered that podcast into the direction that we always wanted to go in and create this kind of really fun, um, listener space for you guys and so um thank you guys for for everything and and definitely join us on uh, on the monday uh show because it it'll, it'll be a lot of fun well connor and i have been friends now for a decade and we have worked with shelby for the last two two years or so so this has really been 
a group of friends recording a podcast, and we were happy to invite everybody into that. So with that in mind, we are going to do two things. Today, we have a, a lot of reader mail that we haven't gotten to the last few weeks. We want to make sure to get to everybody's questions because that's what this show is about. Also, there are some really good questions, Connor. Uh, and then we also want to invite everybody who's followed along, who have been loyal listeners for the last nine months or so, to please write in this week. And we're going to read a lot of those notes on our final show. Again, that has been the heart and soul of what we wanted to do with the Weekside Podcast. And so we want to make sure to go out on that note and, and celebrate all of you. So please write in to us at weeksidepod at gmail.com over the next week. And when we record our final show next week, we will read and discuss many of those messages yeah and thank you guys again i mean you know and whatever you want and even if you just want to say hello goodbye um good to see you um and it's not a goodbye right what's it's a see you later it's a see you later and well it's more like i guess it would be like if you had a lot of friends in a neighborhood that's that in in, like a couple houses away and then but we're just moving we're just moving like to the other end of town so it's now it's going to be like a five minute car ride to see us instead of like a like walking next door you know right that's that's the way to look at it you know so make sure you subscribe to the mmqb podcast feed so you can continue to hear us there that's a good Indeed. analogy, Connor. I'm really glad that you didn't invoke some story from your high school dating life because, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what that story would have been. But you have time to brainstorm but before the end of the show. Maybe True. something occurs to you. you know. Yeah. So why, why don't we dive in? So our, our, first, uh, our first message came in this week from John Hill. He has sent two questions, Connor, and both of them are, are very good. John lives in Portland, Oregon. Thank you, John. Okay, so his first question, as a Seahawks fan, I watched the draft to see who the team would pick with its scant three selections. Scant is such a great word. Mm -hmm. I was horrified when we took a receiver with the first selection, Dwayne Eskridge, simply because I felt the needs were so much greater at cornerback, offensive line, and defensive line. As the weekend wore on and I read more commentary and public opinion, I came around and thought maybe I was wrong to react that way and that the new Legion of Zoom would translate to Mm. a title. Or was I? Others say the team addressed those needs in the free agent market and with the other two picks, but I guess I'm not so sure. I was a fan of picking up Jamal Adams, but I worry the team paid too much of a price. What do you see in the tea leaves? Uh I read this topic, Connor, so that you did not have to say that phrase. Very good. Very good. Well, I would say first um, to John, don't let public opinion sway you because that's the kind of thing that got me to take mac jones and put him back into the top of my mock draft so don't listen to us we don't always know what we're talking about um i think that um it's a good question i think that at some point if you're seattle you probably had to make the recognition that your defense is not what it was it's not going to be what it was um pete carroll's not going to change it and so in order to combat all of those factors in, in addition to the fact that you lost Shaq Griffin in free agency, the goal is probably just going to be to score as many points as possible, right? You brought in Shane Waldron, who was from the Rams. You're hoping that um, it kind of modernizes your offense a little bit after having Brian Schottenheimer as your coordinator for the last few years. Um, it seems like Russell Wilson has won the power struggle in terms of you know giving him more keys to the offense. Um, and so 
you know, I just think if anything, it was a recognition of of what's going on. I mean, you know that they don't have the first round pick because they spent it on Jamal Adams already, and so you have him, um, and you kind of view him as your first round pick at that position. But um, you know, I just think you you look around the division, you say, okay, the Rams have Matt Stafford now. The Forty ers are going to score more points with Trey Lance. Uh, the Cardinals keep loading up on on offensive talent and trying to to outscore everybody and run four wide receivers all the time. So we got to get in, we got to get with the times here, you know. And as good as DK Metcalf and Lockett are, you know, it's it, we need more. And so I think that was probably at least that I viewed it as sort of a recognition of just kind of them hitting the cold hard reality of of what they're looking at yeah I think that's a really good analysis Connor I do agree that the cornerback position is particularly glaring and I think especially given the Seahawks history of having the Legion of Boom and always having this strong secondary that defined the team's ethos that it can be a little strange to look back there and say well both of the starting corners from last season are, are opening week last season are gone what in the heck are they going to to do back there? Uh, but I think your your point is a really good one. They are building the team a little differently. Uh, Russell Wilson has made clear his displeasure. That relationship, you know, the status of it, I don't think the public will ever exactly know how things stand. We often see things that go beyond behind the scenes, and then they by the time they finally bubble to the surface, it's, it's progressed pretty far. But there was some noise earlier this offseason it seems to have settled down but I really think that Waldron is probably the the biggest offseason move that the Seahawks made clearly the offense that Schottenheimer was running wasn't working it it wasn't what the Seahawks needed to maximize Russell Wilson and maximize the potential in the division so they went out they made a big move and I'm really interested to see Russell Wilson in that system and to see how things transform a little bit. You know, we saw the let Russ cook for the first five weeks of the season. And I mean, we did see that it wasn't sustainable, right, to rely on on putting up this many points each each week. But I think seeing him in a more creative system um, could really be transformative. It's interesting to me that uh, and to our readers point, um, I, I think that on the flip side, you know, Russell Wilson has been the most sacked quarterback in the NFL over the last decade. Um, he's certainly taken his fair share of bumps and bruises. And the one thing, and and with a defense that's bad that you don't want on the field, the one thing that can mitigate all that is a good running game, you know? And, uh, and, and it's been the one thing that Seahawks fans have been aggressively kind of trying to get away from ever since Marshawn Lynch left. And so it's, it's, it's a fun kind of thought experiment to see, how they're going to approach this because you you don't want the ball in your defense's hands. You know, you don't want your defense backed up against, you know, uh, in a situation where they have to stop somebody or else the game, you know, with the game on the line or something like that, like a final drive situation. And so you want to be able to sustain the clock. And so does Eskridge help in any way, shape or form? I mean, you know, the one thing that immediately comes to mind is all the backfield motion that the Rams had done and how you need speed there to sort of draw defense's eyes from from left to right. And maybe he helps in that way and in, in, in some respect I mean DK Metcalf running a 10-3 100-yard dash you know he could probably even do a little backfield motion um, but uh, you know with that kind of stuff uh, who knows I, I would say that 
I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I would like to see a more offensively focused Seahawks, um, but uh, I understand the uh, how did he uh, describe it? Horrified? Hor- was he horrified? Is that he what was he said? horrified. Yes, horrified. Yes, I understand that. Um, you know I, that that makes some sense too. As a I grew up a Browns fan, so there were a lot of decisions at, <laughs> during the draft that left me horrified. So, John also has a good second question in the same email. Do you think the league should just get rid of the Thursday night game? Yes. <laughs> or why not make it a Friday night game so the teams get another day of rest? Also a good idea, John. Regardless, I don't like the decision to air it on Prime, much like I didn't like the decision years ago to move Monday Night Football to ESPN, or worse, air some games on the NFL channel, which smacks of an antitrust violation in my opinion. Ooh. I prefer the games remain on the non-cable network so there isn't a cost barrier for fans, particularly those with less means. This is a great message, John. The NFL always seemed like a blue-collar league to me. If it keeps moving away from the networks, is the league losing touch with its roots? Now, now that is... The biggest question of all, like, what are the NFL's roots and, like, what should they be? What fan base are they catering to? I, I think this is the, the question now and, and years into the future, John. But anyways, go ahead, Connor. I think just a fantastic, like, that question, that's a weak side pod question. It right really there. is. Yeah. Like, just just hit all the, all the you know, all the marks. Uh, but I agree. I mean, you know, just look at, you know, I, I think the NFL has... Uh, has a vision of where they want to go. I think it involves fantasy football and gambling and bringing all this stuff together and generating more of an income and, and everything like that. And, and and that's great. But I think that the NFL has always struggled to turn and take a hard look at their fan base and say like, well, this is who continues to follow us. You know, I don't think a lot of new people are jumping on the train. I think that you know, a lot of polls that you've seen done of younger groups of fans um, don't really exist at this point. Um, younger fans like the NBA, younger fans uh, are polling well with esports, um, and younger fans in general are not typically uh, latched on to one thing as a property or an entity. They, they're kind of spreading around their interest base, which is great. Um, but I think the NFL, by, you know, pushing this onto a pay only property, is, is going to be destructive. Uh, you know, I, I think, it, you know, it'll only continue to stoke the narrative that they're moving away from a, a, a segment of their fan base. And, you know, whether or not that's true or not, you know, I, I think that segment of the fan base um, will continue to complain about different changes and evolutions in the game and, and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, I think I think that's going to be a difficult proposition. As for... Uh, Moving it off Thursday night, like mostly, yes, I agree. Uh, but selfishly, you know, I've written this a couple times, but it was it was so good to just have something during the pandemic. You know what I mean? And as much as I've hated Thursday night football, I've hated Thursday night football forever. Um, but uh, this year, like, just sort of flipped my mind on it because it was like, oh, it's like a fun little thing, you know, um, because we're not going anywhere. So I, I, I kind of like my heart warmed to it despite um, – my obvious knowledge of the of the lack of health and safety, which I do think 100% needs to be addressed. Friday would be interesting. I think I could do Friday. I, I like Friday. Friday's a great time. I mean, I think traditionally they wanted to have high school football be the Friday games and college be the Saturday and, you know, NFL be the Sunday. And so when they picked Thursday, it was sort of with that in mind. But games are played at all kinds of different times. And 
I think Friday would be great. As you know, you mentioned, John, the extra day of rest is really important. They were going to the step to expand the season to add a 17th game. I always thought really should have come with the second bye week. And then that way you could arrange the second bye week to allow for Thursday night never be to never be played on short rest. I think it's just too quick of a turnaround and you can manipulate the injury statistics, you know, any way you want it, it, I just think the the reality is for players to make that recovery is difficult. Connor and I have seen it firsthand. We've been in locker rooms the Monday after a Sunday game where players are trying to get ready to to go play on Thursday, and it's always just an incredible scramble. So uh, for those reasons, I, I think it's just I've always had a difficulty watching Thursday night football. And the reality, though, is – the NFL will always follow the money. And I think that's a hard thing to reconcile is people who love the sport or love following the storylines and whatever draws you to the game. You also have to reconcile with the fact that the NFL is a big business and always follows its business interest above anything else. Um, and I, I struggle with that a lot. Connor struggles with that a lot. We talk about this a lot on the show, um, but these decisions are not made in my mind with how, how is the game accessible or how are, you know, how are we making sure that we're not moving the product away from fans who have watched it? It's how can we make the most money and maximize the product? Uh, and I understand that's a business, but it's also somewhat disappointing too, because between this and the way they've handled Kaepernick and, you know, now their efforts to, do what is business sound and try to pretend like they're addressing racism with the end racism and, and the end zones and all of the the surface level gestures this season. Uh, I just think it's a little bit hard to to reconcile all those different feelings, Connor. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think our editor uh, Mark, our former editor Mark Mravic, really put it well one day when I was talking to him about you know there's like an injury I think that happened on Thursday night football. Um, and you know, we were communicating about what I was going to write and he was saying like, you know, every time you turn on one of these games, it's such an ethical trade-off, you know? And, and I know a lot of people don't think about it that way. Um, but I think especially those of us who cover the sport and are, you know, trying to be the kind of the gatekeepers of the history of the game and have, we have the privilege of communicating with, players long after they retire and you know kind of hearing their stories beyond football it's like it really does feel like a trade-off because it's like yes this is fun this is entertainment um but at what cost and so that i I always i always thought i always thought that when it came to, to thursday night football it's a great it's a great question um and you know high school uh is i think i don't know if exactly moving away from that traditional Friday night model, but like I, I think high school is moving around too, you know. So I think it, you know, Friday, Friday could be an, uh, some, one of those things that you could slide them in there um, and, and see what happens, you know. Because at that point, all you're overshadowing then is like some some late night Mac football, you know, which I think is okay. Uh, you know, for those of you who love late night Mac football, there's nothing wrong with that either. But all right, well, great question, John Connor. What do we have for the next one? All right. Uh, let's get in here. Uh, okay. So this is from Reese and Reese. As soon as my phone loads. Okay. 
Um, hi, weak side friends. Still loving your pod heart emoji. Thank you, Reese. Uh, mailbag question for me. Presuming the NFL season will be a bit more normal than last year, which team will benefit more from being able to have training camp, preseason games, and get back some players that withdrew from the season altogether last year? I hope this makes some sense. Cheers, Reese. And this was a great note um, to add at the bottom. Uh, P.S. We love basketball in Australia. Football is better, though. And yes, we do watch March Madness, as you asked last week. That was good. I, I, I was curious like what kind of a broader appeal March Madness had um, in, in an international uh, market. In fact, 14 Australians played in the tournament this year. And of course, one of our greatest players, Andrew Gaze, nearly carried Seton Hall to the championship in 1989 and still thinks they only lost on a bad call. Also, watch out for men's and women's basketball teams at the Olympics this year. We will be a contender. Great note, Reese. The 1989 Seton Hall men's team has great significance in uh my family, my father-in-law is a lifetime Seton Hall nut, um, and uh, recently for one of our uh, Christmas or a birthday, got him like all the uh, game pamphlets and, and uh, um, programs from that NCAA tournament season. So um, we were, in fact, reading a lot about Andrew Gaze. So that was a, a very cool note, uh, and I appreciate that. I remember writing a story for the Star-Ledger where his name came up. I mean, obviously the Seton Hall tie, but... He also, Connor, I'm looking up this story that I wrote in 2010. Ex-Seton Hall star Andrew Gaze helped open Australian pipeline to NCAA, St. Mary's. So wow. I think I was out in the Bay Area for something. It must have been the Rutgers women's team was playing in the tournament out at Stanford. And I think I had some extra they must have lost their game and I had extra days out there so I went over to St. Mary's and I um interviewed some Australian players who there was a five Australian players on the St. Mary's team that year and it all started with a link that Andrew Gaze helped establish Connor wow that's amazing yeah I'm just it's all coming back to me now so this email was really a really a trip down memory lane and I remember my story included something called Vegemite, which is the dark brown food paste made from yeast ex- extract, which is an Australian staple, but the their American teammates were, were a little hesitant to try it, Connor. Mm. But uh, yes, that was something that came up in my interviews was the uh, well-known Vegemite. I'm like, I, I've always been very curious about Vegemite. Um I, I'm all in. I mean, if I'm ever lucky enough to make it to Australia, it's probably one of the first things I'm going to do. Get me some Vegemite. Well, great question. Thank you, Reese, for allowing us to go down this little sidebar. Uh, so, Connor, I feel like I talk about the Patriots too much, but it's hard to answer the question here without saying the Patriots because they had a league-high eight players opt out. I believe all were set to return, but then Patrick Chung retired. Um, But regardless, Dante Hightower, Marcus Cannon, Brandon Bolden. So they clearly get a boost from the opt-outs returning. But also having, you know, Cam Newton's in his second year with the team. We'll see how Mac Jones develops. Obviously, rookie quarterbacks, you know, that's kind of its own category. But it's hard for me to not answer the Patriots when I see this question. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, 
Oddly, the first one that came to my mind, and I know that they didn't have a ton of high-profile opt-outs, um, but I was thinking a lot about the Browns last year, and the Browns were the only team with a new head coach, a brand-new head coach, uh, to make the playoffs last year. And they did so with a completely virtual off-season and no in-person meetings and building a rapport with a staff um, that players couldn't, you know, see in person. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and then even at the end of the season, um, Kevin Stefanski had COVID, missed a playoff game. You know, there was a lot, there's so many pauses, stops and starts um, with the Browns, especially last year. And I think that it's interesting because they were able to do a really good job of building a community um, virtually. And now to see them all in there in person, I think is going to be really interesting. And of course you get like Odell Beckham comes back, um, who's injured last year and, and, and there's some returns there, but I think a team that was already really good, um, Mm -hmm. despite all of those uh, things now gets to be in person. And, you know, unless Kevin Stefanski is the one guy on earth who is more interesting on zoom than he is in real life, then I think that this is going to be a, uh, this is going to be kind of an interesting uh, uh, step forward for the Browns. At least you hope so. Cause their fan base is really hoping for like another, another step forward. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I, something like that. I mean, I think there's going to be some, some big ones where, you know, for whatever reason, teams are trying to break in, you know, the, the chargers come to mind too, just because as good, as good of a job that Anthony Lynn did with Justin Herbert, that was totally virtual, you know, and it really speaks to what he was able to do to, to lay the groundwork for that. Um, and his rookie of the year campaign. But now that you have, you know, your hands on him all off season, you know, it's obviously a new coach, but you know, does, does Justin Herbert take another step forward? You know, is he better than we thought he was, you know, some of those guys, especially the quarterbacks last year, Tua and the Dolphins, I think, is another one that I think about a lot. Where you know, if you can get your hands on him all off season, is that a guy who eventually kind of takes that step forward? Yeah, I think the Browns are a great answer because, as you mentioned, for staffs that were new last season, that was a really wa- weird way to get to know people. And so, obviously, there's there's new staffs this year, but they're getting to know each other in a more normal environment. So for the teams that kind of made it through, who figured out a way to connect with their new coaches, coaches with their new players last year. There's a there's a lot of opportunity this year. Although it's, uh, I have to say, I mean, I think we're all kind of re-entry into the real world. It's going to be weird. And perhaps players who played last season were more more in their normal routines than than a lot of us were but I still think it's going to be a, a strange transition back for everybody and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the NFL as well the Browns got to know each other virtually by having zoom meetings and one person every week had to stand up and list their greatest fear and then talk about it in front of everybody. So that would be, for example, like uh, Jenny telling me that uh, me putting on a bad movie and forcing <laughs> her to watch the entire thing. So. You know, it's such a re- it's it seems like a silly icebreaker, but that can be a really revealing question. When I did the sports person of the year story on Megan Rapino, I had no idea what the focus was going to be, and I was at this youth camp she did when I was kind of in the middle of my reporting process and one of the kids asked the question, what's her greatest fear? And she said that people will think she's a fraud. And that really was interesting because she was super honest. And I don't think you hear people 
in her position, you know, worldwide celebrities be that raw. And I, maybe it was in a setting with children, or I think that's just kind of who she is anyway, that she's really kind of an open book. But it was a really revealing answer. So I can imagine that um, that could help the new, the teammates and their new coaching staff get to know each other. I don't know what I would say. You know, there, you could go one of two ways, Connor. You could make a joke like the bad movie thing, or, or you could be really vulnerable and choose to be really honest about what your greatest fear is. I think, you know, I, I, I have no, you know, I, I, I would be honest. I, I think that's the, that's the way to go. I think that's always the way to go because regardless of what ends up happening, there's somebody else in that room that that's going to touch, you know? And even if that other person in that room is, you know, afraid of admitting it themselves, I think hearing somebody else say that there is sort of a connection there and that I'm going through the same thing too always seems to help. So I would always advocate for honesty there. All right, let's move on to our next question from Jack Wellborn, friend of the pod. Thank you for writing in, Jack. It's always great to hear from you. This is a, a couple uh, couple months ago he wrote this in, but I think it's a timely question. We hadn't gotten to it yet. So I have a question for the pod. Now that Washington has abandoned its offensive mascot, do either of you think we'll see a Kansas City football team in the foreseeable future? On the one hand, I suspect there's significantly more resistance to changing the mascot of a successful franchise with an ownership that is largely responsible for the modern NFL. On the other hand, their mascot, and especially some of the fan culture surrounding it, are arguably just as offensive. Jack, I think this is a great question, and I know there were activist groups around this year's Super Bowl, with the Chiefs again being in the spotlight, who are making this point that the team took some steps last year that you could not enter the stadium with a headdress or with war paint, but we still hear the tomahawk chant. Um, obviously, there's still Native American imagery uh, on the helmets and in other, you know, t- team uh, team representations. And I-, I think at some point the name will be changed. I- and I maybe we could say that. Well, if that was going to happen, it was already it would have already happened. But the the Washington football team name was the most egregious because of the word itself was a slur. But as you point out, Jack, many aspects of the football culture surrounding the Chiefs and that name are just as bad. And you know, the, the headdresses and and the war paint uh, not allowing that in the stadium was was one good step that the team took because. If you, if you talk to Native Americans, those are parts of their culture that are earned. They're not just given. They have specific meanings. So seeing people just put on a headdress or, or put on different paint uh, without earning it or without understanding what that means in their culture is, is really offensive. But I, I cringe every time I, I hear the tomahawk chant, Connor. I, I don't know about you. Uh, it makes me really uncomfortable. And it does seem like it's very ingrained and maybe the moment has passed where Sponsors are putting on financial pressure, but I'm still optimistic that there will be further changes in the years ahead. I don't know how long it will take, but I agree with you, Jack. I, I think this should be addressed as well. Yeah, I I wonder how, because um, as you mentioned, the the Hunt family are you know kind of stakeholders there in the NFL and are not as unpopular and probably as movable as as the Snyders and you know as much as this should not and and I want to be clear should not play a factor in all this you know I think 
um, you know, the success of the franchise, um, the players that you have on that team, like right now and their, their popularity, I think makes everything more difficult. But I agree with Jenny. I do think eventually that uh, this is going to change. I just think that the momentum is finally headed in the right direction. I think that enough people are listening to um, enough people are listening to um the people who come from these places or have the background of these places that are clearly, you know, just being commercialized and in some cases mocked and offend, you know, in this offensive way and this offensive stereotype. And so I do think it's going to change. Um, I, I think it'll probably take far more time than it did for the Washington football team to change. Cause as Jenny said, it's an obvious slur, but I, I think what's going to be interesting is whenever or if, Washington releases their new branding efforts and they decide to go with a different nickname, if they decide to go with a different nickname, I think it's going to be sort of a case study for other teams. You know, And again, I'm not saying this is right, but how many times have we seen the NFL where you wait for one person to do it, you see if it works out. Um, you see, you gauge the backlash on them, it, you know, you do all your internal focus polling, whatever it is, and then you make a decision on your own. And I think that, you know, Kansas city probably has an eye on what Washington's doing. Um, and it'll kind of come down to their success and their ability to be able to handle that. Yeah. And just to go back to the tomahawk chop chant, it's basically a sort of a made up supposed to be a war cry and i think the reason it's disrespectful according to indigenous people is that it relates back to those savage stereotypes and so it, that has been such a prominent part any chiefs game you go to uh, at the super bowl all of these places it's it's part of cheering for the chiefs but if you actually listen to the people who understand what that represents it is very offensive so that could be a next step even you know before maybe they don't get all the way to the name change I'm, I'm trying to take a optimistic view here and that all of these dangerous representations can be eventually eradicated from our sports leagues and our society Connor but at least the the tomahawk chop chant that should be the next step yeah and just sort of an interesting like side note. So I've been reading this book called 1491 new revelations of America before Columbus. And, um, it was kind of timely because I don't know if anyone saw the idiotic comments from uh, former politician, Rick Santorum saying that basically, you know, the, the people who came to America brought everything here and every, uh, you know, that book really does throw a lot of cold water on it. And I think bolsters, um, a lot of the claims that a lot of indigenous people have about their role in shaping what we are today. Um, the technology, the engineering, the culture, um, you know, uh, all the food, like, you know, everything that forms a basis of society. And so I just a good read, I think, in general for people, if you're interested in learning more about uh, what was actually here before the stereotypes, you know, and uh, what we're able to come into play. So, um, you know, just th throwing it out there. So no, that's a great recommendation. Thanks, Connor. The last email we have for today is a little bit of a curious one, Connor. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's serious or not. We've been getting a lot of junk mail to the Weekside Pod address because, you know, it's it's been out there on on the internet, so I think things kind of get picked up. But um, this one is from someone named John, who the subject line is America Football Training Lessons. 
Hi, how are you doing? Are you available for America football training lessons? Kindly reach back to me to schedule. Thank you, John. <laughs> so, Connor, you had John, an illustrious I am career. Uh, uh, but <laughs> I mean, Connor had an illustrious career playing offensive line. R- r- for the refresh me on the name of your high school, Connor. The Abington Heights. Abington uh, Heights. Comets. That's right. Abington Heights Comets. That's right. We've discussed this many times in the show. So Connor is available for offensive line training. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, John, if if you want anybody, I would say you'd want Jenny. Who uh, I've said this many times before, dating back to the first time that I remember reading her story about the Don Coriel offense and how it related to Brian Schottenheimer. Um, and I've actually said this uh, to other people. Um, I, I remember saying this to a, a coach about Jenny once and saying, I think she could call, and I, I know she could call an NFL game with success if you give her a week with a playbook. And so I think that, John, uh, she would be perfect <laughs> to, uh, uh, so we'll just have to, you know, line up schedules, um, you know, and, uh, and, and we'll see what happens. We'll have to talk to Gary too. Maybe, uh, Gary will allow us a little bit of space on the podcast. We can maybe do some, some nuggets, <laughs> uh, and, and kind of do it in, in, in a podcast installation kind of way and, and, and kind of get everybody up to speed here because everybody loves American football, you know? Well, Connor is being very kind and flattering me, but there's absolutely no way I could even make one call in an NFL game. Uh, I would be overwhelmed by the pressure and plagued by indecision. Uh, (laughs) If you know me, which you do, you can see that that would be true. But I appreciate the vote of confidence. You say that, but I bet like, you know, uh, you say that and then it's like uh, like the minute that the lights go on. And this has been true uh, throughout Every Jets playoff game that we covered, uh, all that stuff, you know, there's always the nerves, but the minute the lights go on, bam, you know, Jenny's a gamer. So I'm I'm all in on that. I think well, it's good. Well, maybe, you know, maybe John is a budding football star, Connor. You know, maybe he can be our quarterback. Uh, I can be the head coach. You can be the general manager. We'll make a great team. Let's do it. I'm in. Shelby, you can be the the club owner. You know, we've got a, we've got a good crew here, so... Indeed. All right. So let's move to the Oracle. And before we start, we should say that we're coming off of a success. Connor called it. Last week's Oracle hit. It hit within a day, I think. You predicted last week that the offensive line market would pick up. And then maybe a day or two later, the Ravens signed Alejandro Villanueva. Yeah. And then uh, the Colts signed Eric Fisher. There you go. And so, uh, yeah, we're... Uh, we're feeling good about that one. We're feeling pretty froggy. Uh, so that that leads us into today. Uh, and, and you know, second to last Oracle, I mean, you know, and really, as everybody knows, uh, fans of television series, the penultimate episode really is where all the big reveals come out. And I wish I had some sort of universal truth to predict uh, for you. Maybe my sub-oracle will be, no matter what, uh, you know, everything's going to be okay. So that'll be my sub-oracle. <laughs> you know, take that to heart that uh, whatever's going on right now, I promise you, uh, everything will be okay. Um, uh, but the sub-oracle there, uh, of course, like everything else is going to be about Tim Tebow. Uh, obviously, why not? Of course. Um, and uh, I, uh, I got a lot of backlash. Wrote about Tebow this week. Um, I never I, good for the mentions. 
No, no. And um, I, I feel like I felt like the signing itself was largely harmless. Um, and I understand um, the argument out there that, OK, you know, Colin Kaepernick's not in the NFL, but Tim Tebow is. Um, I, I think it's different in that. And I'm again, I'm not saying that Colin Kaepernick should have to change positions to tight end and accept a, a veteran minimum, minimum salary to prove himself. That's ridiculous. He should be should have been one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL when he deserved to be and should still, I think, arguably be a good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Tebow, I think, is different because I, I just think this entire thing is harmless. And my Oracle prediction is that he's not going to be on the 53 man roster. Um Mm-hmm. I think that if he is if he is with the Jaguars in any capacity, they're probably giving it a test run to see what it's like. And, you know, maybe he ends up as an ancillary member of the coaching staff at some point if he proves that there is some sort of a benefit um, to having him um, around and is not as much of a distraction. But I will say that I, I think um, – I think there are myriad benefits to having him around now. I think that there's a lot of pressure on Trevor Lawrence and every throw is going to be analyzed and to have Tebow kind of just ambling around trying to figure out a new position. I think a lot of attention it's going to take away a lot of attention on Trevor Lawrence and 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 I my argument is any minute that you can make him feel like a normal human being not under a microscope, I think is money well spent. I think it's super valuable to do that. And I think that it's nice to have Tebow in the locker room because of the people I think in the NFL who could understand the journey that Trevor Lawrence went through you know there's probably you know a handful of people in college football history that can relate to that and I think Tim is one of them and so I think it's just good to have him around and say hey you know this was crazy and can you believe this happened and yeah you know yeah because I went through it and here's how I dealt with it and here's how I regret dealing with it and you know so I think it'll just be nice for minicamp I don't think he's going to make the 53-man roster Mm -hmm. and if he remains with the Jaguars my oracle prediction will be that they'll convert him into some kind of a, a player development coach or something like that. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I heard some rumblings from Jacksonville last week that it was definitely going to get done. And yeah, it might not be exactly what you just said, Connor. It might not be on, he might not be on the 53 man roster, but he was somebody that Urban Meyer wanted around for the time being. And I think your assessment of his impact on Lawrence is spot on. And obviously, Urban Meyer is trying to build a program in Jacksonville. And you often see coaches bring in players that can be sort of their, what's what's the right word that I'm looking for, who can vouch for them in the locker room, mm-hmm. who can let the other players know what the coach is trying to build. We saw that with the Jets, you know, Rex Ryan, his first big free agent signing, Bart Scott, he brought him in to, to run his defense and bring the same mentality that they'd had in Baltimore. And he had a lot of other guys like that, that he brought from Baltimore, Jim Leonard, Trevor Price. So I think you, you see head coaches doing that a lot um, as they try to build something new. And especially for Meyer coming from the college level to the pros, I think that is a, a savvy move in that regard. Yeah, I, you know, I, this is going to be like, you know, this is going to be clipped out of context. So I'm going to try to say everything really fast so you can't put it all together. But I have more questions about, you know, more of an immediate argument against Urban Meyer drafting Travis Etienne in the first round than I do like spending a 90 man roster spot on a guy that's just going to, you know, kind of help build the rah rah culture. Like I think one is far less destructive than the other and potentially destructive. I mean, Travis Etienne could be a great player, but, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fine, you know. And uh, again, I note uh, that this is different than the Jets. You know, this is much different than when he signed with the Jets because he's not coming in to play quarterback. You're not inserting him into this combustible salad of you know, uh, of on edge people and then exploding it, uh, in, in the biggest media market in the world, you know, you're in Jacksonville, you could get away with this. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. So that's my take, but, Lo- um, love it, Connor. This is, it's with a heavy heart that, you know, I'm not, it's like, you know, when you, you fly through a series and then you reach the penultimate episode and then, and then you wish you slowed down, you know, and, and so asking Jenny for the Ventus consensus. Uh, and again, we're going to we're going to talk about bringing all this stuff over to the Monday pod. So, you know, I don't think it's I don't think the Ventus consensus is gone. I don't think the Oracle is gone. Um, we're going to work on all this stuff. But for right now in this space, what what do you got what, for our penultimate Ventus consensus? Connor, what you just said, by the way, Schitt's Creek was like that for me. I tried to delay watching the last few episodes because I knew I would be sad when it was over. So I understand. Did you like Schitt's Creek? It was it was great. It, it took maybe half the first season to get into it to really get going. But the show then really found its groove and picked up. And it was just tremendous and heartwarming. And the characters were just so perfect so funny uh they touched on so many different things so yes i loved Shit's creek very cool um but yes the penultimate rent is consensus at least in the weak side version so last week the wall street journal reported that nick saban was participating in vaccine psas for the state of alabama which is lagging in terms of the percentage of alabamians who have gotten the vaccine to the point where the doses they may be receiving uh may decrease, the supply may be reallocated to other areas. And so the state was looking for ways to encourage people to get vaccines. And I think this was a fantastic use of Saban's celebrity power. Now, of course, you never rely on sports figures for medical advice. But in this case, Saban is simply saying, I'm following medical advice, and you should too. And I believe one of the PSAs says something along the lines of, we need Brian Denny Stadium to be packed this fall. And to you need to get the vaccines to make sure we can have the stadium packed. So whatever gets people over the hump, there's been there's plenty of information out there that about the, the, the necessity of getting the vaccine, the importance of it for public health, t- trying to get to hurt herd immunity. And so I think Saban using his platform in this way was really impactful. And maybe we'll see other figures. Now, there are very few Sabans who carry that sway in a community, especially in a state where the the numbers are lagging. And I think I read that they initially weren't going to go that direction, that people wanted most to hear from doctors. Uh, but when Saban had COVID-19 last fall, they saw that his willingness to quarantine had ripple effects in the state that people said, well, if Saban can quarantine, I can quarantine too. Um, And so I thought that was a great use. And hopefully in other communities where there are sports figures that can carry that, that do carry that sway could use this uh, for this public health to take this important public health step. Yeah. I good on, good on Nick Saban. I mean, this was something that I remember us talking about, um, at the beginning of the pandemic. And I, I remember that before a time when, you know, we were so completely divided as a country, the pandemic, uh, or, you know, 
athletes in general would have jumped on the bandwagon to say, "Hey, get out and do this." You know, there. You know, I remember some of the great PSAs of the '90s with Michael Jordan and you know all the you know uh, you know all these popular you know football players, Ken Griffey Jr. and all these guys that you know, and and it mattered when you were a little kid. Um, and I think that in some way, shape, or form, you know, if if you have any clout whatsoever. Um, then I think um, uh, relaying reliable information about the safety of the vaccine, the ease of the process, you know, uh, all that stuff, I think, is is super helpful. I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm and I'm not saying I have any clout, but, you know, I got mine and I feel great. And so, you know, and it's been a while and 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 I feel great. And, you know, I got to I got to see my uh my grandmother, my 90 year old grandmother, who my daughter is named after, and the two of them got to run around in the backyard for her third birthday. And, you know, that's all stuff that wouldn't have been able to happen without uh, the vaccine. And so I, uh, you know, I encourage anybody out there who's on the fence to, uh, to, to go get it. Likewise, Team Pfizer over here. Moderna man. <laughs> Apparently, there was some article recently that like, people are saying that like, if you got Pfizer, and that that makes you hotter. Yes, Pfizer is the hot vaccine. What in um, the world? And and I've noticed this. I've I've talked to neighbors uh, who have said, uh, you know, I like I had so I, I you know I I was still able to get everything I needed to get done. Uh, you know, I had some some very brief you know muscle aches and stuff, and so I took some Tylenol and it went away. But my neighbor was like, ah, you know, Moderna, you know, Pfizer, you know, we're totally fine over here, um, you know, and. <laughs> And yeah, there's like a there's like a hotness to it. It's like um, the Pfizer is like the uh, the Pfizer is like the 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 Gucci bag of the of the vaccine, and then maybe um, what what's underneath Gucci like um, for the Moderna? Like we're looked at as maybe like you're you're very solid solid and steady, like a nice Kate guess. Spade. Kate Spade, guess is guess. Does guess still make bags? I'm is actually still not sure about company? that. Um, <laughs> I don't know on on either of those fronts. And Taylor guess is still around. <laughs> Talbots, <laughs> maybe like a solid bag, but but not designer. I mean, I don't know. I don't know Loft? where this analogy is going. <laughs> limited two. <laughs> oh man, I was a big limited two um, patron when I was in my preteens. No Had to be. So there's no question about it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, go get it because it's good for everybody. Well, this was a great penultimate episode, Connor. Shelby, always a joy to be here with you every week. And reminder to everybody, please write in this week, weeksidepod at gmail.com. Make use of the Gmail address while we still can. And we want to read your notes and comments, concerns, questions, et cetera, on the show next week. So please, whatever you have to say, drop us a line. We're looking forward to reading that next week on the show. And Thank you for listening every week for the last several months. It's, it's been a real joy. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the Emeritus Executive Director of the MMQB. And our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. 